All right. So if you've been doing marketing for a while, actually, it doesn't even matter if you've been doing it for a while, for a week or a decade, you know that Google Analytics just becomes like the bane of any marketing team's existence. It's a necessary evil. Something always breaks or it's not right, or you got to find a developer to help you set it up. And I looked it up because I wanted to mention it for this, but Google Analytics launched in November 2005, 16 years ago, and yet it's still the thing that most marketing teams uh, obsess over and get stuck with so much. But there's a better way, and that way is called Aribi. It's an awesome new company, Aribi.io. They got customers like Sony, Pizza Hut, Audi, Panasonic, and Sky. So what they do is really cool. They automatically capture every activity on your website. So imagine someone visits your blog. Oh, nope, didn't have to set up a tag for that. It just automatically captures. Someone visit your pricing page. Somebody did something on your website. You didn't have to go and set that up in advance, which is always the thing that drives me nuts. Ah, oh, we didn't have a goal set up for that. They'll automatically capture everything that's happening on your website. And you can do it all without a developer. That is the selling point for me to not have to always beg my friends on the product team to do drug deals and get this stuff over the line. Once you connect your site, you can just start capturing everything your website visitors do. And you can even ask questions like, hey, do people are people who read our blog, are they more likely to buy than other people? Or people who visit my pricing page, are they more likely to convert than somebody else. It's awesome and you should totally check it out. And they're hooking you up with a great little discount, 20% off any plan. But most importantly, like to me, marketing is about simplifying the decision-making process. And if you can have someone that works 24-7 like an analyst on your team for you, which is what Aribi does, it's going to give you a huge benefit. So you can go and check it out, aribi.io slash DGMG, and you can start a free trial. And if you use the coupon code DGMG, you'll get 20% off any plan. I'm launching a new site, dgmg.co, in a couple weeks, and I'll be using Aribi to track everything that I do. And I think you should go and check it out. So aribi.io slash DGMG, go and check it out, and hopefully you can say goodbye to Google Analytics. This episode is also brought to you by my friends at Lemon Pie. They're the ones who produce this show for me. They're awesome at what they do and I can't recommend their work enough. They make it super easy for me and I know that they can help you too if you want to launch a podcast strategy for your brand. Check them out at www.lemonpie.fm and tell them I sent you. That's www.lemonpie.fm. Tell them that I sent you. All right, let's get into this episode. Hey, I'm Dave Gerhardt, and you're listening to the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast. This is the place where I share B2B marketing lessons and learnings every week. My guest on this episode is Josh Allen. He's the CRO at Owl Labs. All right, Josh, so can you just give everybody listening some, some, some quick background you know, on your journey from... Uh, you know, log me in all the way to now. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I've, I've been in sales, uh, like many, I'm an accidental salesperson and I got into sales because I had to figure out how to pay my student loans back. That's about as, as much as I thought it through. It's like, what can I do to earn money to pay those back? Um, but my journey has taken me through some like really high growth companies. Uh, I was fortunate to join log me in when it was a $3 million business. And we were trying to figure out who we were going to be when we grew up and got to spend 10 years with that company and see them go through all sorts of different phases with growth, uh, international development and expansion, acquisitions, building new product lines, creating different growth curves. 
And I think a lot of, a lot of, uh, I felt like I got a career's worth of experience condensed into a 10 year period that has certainly helped in my journey. So after Log Me In, I joined CarGurus through their really high growth period between about 120 million and 400 million in revenue, uh, significant expansion of the, of the sales and success program there. Joined Drift, where you and I worked together a little bit earlier stage than I had been in a while, but we got to go through the period of time where I think Drift was also trying to figure out who they were going to be when they grew up and, and understanding the true, like tightly chiseled product market fit in that business, which is now taking me to my role here at Owl Labs, where we are very much moving into the scale phase of our business, where uh, we've got wonderful product market fit, something that has uh, is meeting the times in terms of demand and need for the ability to have more immersive meetings between employees and even students and teachers in the classroom. So it's a lot of fun. This is the fun part because it's when you get to to add all the great people to the team, build out the processes underneath it, uh, build out the systems and the business, and and here I am today. <laughs> so you. You're a CRO, and a lot of people that listen to this, the, the, one of the reasons that I want to have you on is because you're not a marketing person, and I think it's I, I just want to bring other other people in that marketing people work with. And uh, just in your words, like how do you define the responsibilities of a, of a CRO? Because I, I, one thing that I struggle with is you could really, and I feel this way about marketing too, but you could really make the case that like, it could be everything, <laughs> right? And so, yep. so how, how do you, how do you think about it? Yeah. And it's funny. Cause I remember, uh, I remember when I first met you in person, um, was during the interview process coming into drift and you asked me the question, do you think marketing belongs underneath the CRO? And it's, it, and I think my answer has evolved over time and I don't think it's a one size fits all answer. Frankly, I think it's very much dependent on on the type of business you're in, yeah. CRO is a super ambiguous title. It could mean a lot of different things to different people in different companies. Mm -hmm. And CROs are everything from the sales leader, like just responsible for the sales organization, to crossing marketing, sales, customer success, support, everything that touches the customer. I've done sort of both. I uh, At Drift, CRO meant sales leader and just sales leader. In my current role at Owl Labs, it includes the marketing function, the sales function, customer success, support, partnerships. So kind of everything, everything that would, um, if you, I think about it from a customer journey standpoint. Yeah. And so every touch point of a customer's journey falls under the CRO umbrella at Owl Labs. Yeah. Well, it's 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 tough, right? Because like. Because you said I, I didn't know you you were responsible for all those functions there, which is awesome. Because what it, what it makes me think of is like sometimes, as one example, I've struggled working with like customer success in a revenue driving function because simply if they're not measured or responsible on revenue, then they're not going to do that. Even though it's like I, I've been in companies where it's like, oh, let's just have the CS team you know reach out to customers and ask them to refer people or like, and it just doesn't, doesn't work that way. And so I think I do think there's alignment. And I don't know if I was mature enough to say this at the time, but I think now I think it would have been great to have marketing report into into the CRO. And I'm only saying that because I think the biggest problem that marketing and sales have is alignment, period. And so I think like totally. if if yes. if in that scenario, and, and I don't mean specifically at Drift, I just mean in general, the way that I could rationalize the case is like, okay, 
I'm going to report to Josh or I'm going to report into the CRO because we're going to be aligned on revenue. And so then in that meeting, you know, we're kind of only talking about pipeline and meetings as opposed to like, I don't want to hear all the other bullshit that you're doing, Dave. I think it helps from an alignment perspective. Yeah. The, the first time I was exposed to, to an executive leader who owned both sales and marketing and customer success together was, uh, was Bill Wagner, who's the current CEO at Log Me In. But he came in as the chief operating officer. And he had experience as a marketing leader and as a sales leader independently. And what I saw Bill do and what I think the benefit of a good leader who crosses across them can do is you create the connective tissue between the organizations. So the goal and the result and the outcome that you're trying to achieve as a company Everyone becomes aligned around that because you have sort of one voice at the table who is responsible for kind of bringing that together. And it sounds corny, but as the executive leader who's responsible for it, you have no time for <laughs> right. the infight. Right. Right. You have no time for the friction that is caused between the two. Right. You can only do things that remove the friction and get the teams to work together. So I do think there's a there's an advantage. It's the same reason I've simplified my take on what marketing should do in the last two years. And it's like marketing should own revenue, period. And you can dispute that. There's uh, Dave, there's other things marketing should do. I agree. But it just makes life so much fucking easier if you can just say, first, we're going to focus on revenue and we're going to get this part right. And then we're going to do all the other things. Completely. Completely. And, I, I, and, and you've, been in, you've been in more senior senior roles than I have. But like, just tell people that are listening, what's the one thing ultimately that shareholders, the board, investors, execs, what do they care about? Uh, well, it's it's two things. It's revenue and growth. It's those two things combined. It's revenue and growth. It's like what type of revenue you're putting on the board and how fast are you growing? Because that's, especially in an early stage company, that's how you're going to be measured because you're going to be measured against all your peers and how everybody else is putting up revenue numbers and growing. Yeah. I mean, and you've used this line before in conversations with me, but like in coming from a sports background, it's similar, but like winning, you know how they say like in sports, like winning, you don't hear about all the locker room drama and bullshit on a team that's winning. I think the same is true in, in, in sales and marketing, where if like, if you're a marketing team that's putting up the revenue, delivering on the revenue number, you're not going to have the sales leader poking holes and like, well, wh why are we doing that webinar? Like it's, it doesn't happen that way. That way. No, re revenue, revenue cures all <laughs> in, in, an, in a company. And if, if a company is humming and you're putting dollars up, the revenue's there, it cures all and it can it can hide a lot of the inefficiencies underneath yeah. that only get exposed when revenue recedes a bit. And and if you're listening to this, like this is the B2B marketing, like people that listen to this are, are current or future marketing leaders. Like if you don't like, <laughs> I think part one is like you have to accept that the job is a revenue job, period, and then go into it. Because if you don't like, if you're somebody who's like, well, you know, I don't like doing mark, like it's, it's not going to work. You're, you're not going to please your boss. You're not going to please the management team. It's, it is all about revenue. Okay. I, I thought of a question that I want to ask you while you were saying that. This is completely separate, but I think a skill that... And I want your take on this as a CRO. As a CRO, you have to be able to influence... You don't just own sales. You have to be able to influence product, customer success. You have to be able to influence all these other revenue drivers because revenue does not just mean book more meetings and generate more pipeline, it means like, huh, is there an expansion channel that we're not utilizing? Could we be getting more out of our existing base? Could we be running a referral program? Could we fix churn? Yep. And that's, that's the nature of your job. I think one thing that a lot of marketers who want to take the next step in their career struggle with is 
moving from I'm just marketing Dave at this meeting to like, no, 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 I'm revenue Dave and I'm going to influence the product. I'm going to influence customer success. So how do you take that approach where you can be not a product person, but say like influencing the, the product? Because I know it's a piece that you care a lot about. Yeah, I do. And and I do think it's a, I think that's an environmental thing at companies, honestly, like the, that environment is either created and that, um, you know, the autonomy is given to the entirety of the team to be able to say, you know, I hate this line, but I'm going to use it anyway. When you see something, say something, right. if you see an opportunity, if you see something underneath, um, if you have recognized a pattern, if you see an adjacent market that we're not tapping into, if there's a vertical that's coming online and getting loud, like what take action against that um, and, and be able to demonstrate. And I think in a company that gives their employees through all the ranks, like I, some of the best feedback I've received in terms of where to go and what to do next and how we need to position our marketing messages from the SDR team who are making calls. They're having those frontline conversations. They're getting the no's and the yeses to be able to move a deal forward. I want to hear from them because I want to know what we need to have on our website, what we need to have as part of our content that we should be getting in front of people that will get more hand raisers as a result. So I think if you have a CEO in particular who creates that environment for people to feel like not only can they bring information forward, can they bring ideas forward, but those ideas will be considered and the good ones will be implemented you do create a very innovative environment. And I'm, I'm fortunate now in, in my current company that we have that type of environment. So yeah. there's a lot of innovation and ideas that come from all over the place. And I think it's allowed us to move faster. Yeah, I, I think it's such an important, it's such a, important skill but i also think it's it's not natural in everybody it's an intangible type of thing and and some people can grow it like i work with a guy right now and he's he's just unbelievable at not just thinking about oh i got to hit this trial number yes i got to hit this trial number but also this there could be like the asp in this segment is really low we should be doing something there the product should be doing that and i think that's that to me is the skill between like if you want to make the jump between individual individual leader, like just leading leader of a small part of marketing to the whole thing. I think that's a step that you got to be able to take. And it, it's, it's like, to your point, it's also, it's, um, you know, developing the relationship for, like from my standpoint with our founders and our product team and our engineers that when we have something of interest, not only are we going to pass the information along, but we're going to bring them in. We're going to bring them on the calls. We're going to like, I have, after you and I are done, We've got a call with a potential opportunity that we're bringing our, our uh, product manager on so he can hear from them what they're asking for in terms of potential opportunities for us to build things into the product that have a broader audience impact in our, in our customer base. And so long as you keep them close, like you can, again, move faster on the product side to build things that are relevant to what the customers are asking for, as opposed to what can often happen is you silo yourself and you build the things you think are cool and that people are going to like that they don't actually use. And it becomes part of the 80% of your features that you've built that are just sitting there with a whole whole bunch of dust on them. Yeah, it's, 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 not, it's not a good feeling to feel like you're just building stuff for the sake of building. And I think like the best product teams that I've had relationships with are when the product team gets fired up about revenue also, <laughs> right? When the product well, team is like, oh, Let's do that so we can. And I think that creates an amazing relationship between product and sales and marketing and, and CS because 
when you just have the product team, it's like, I don't know, we, we were just to, we're told to do this work. And so we go do it. And then it doesn't get used. Like that's also a shitty feeling for the, pro- like, for the product team. You don't want to feel like you spend all your time building stuff. And so when everybody can rally around, like, here's what's driving revenue, that's super valuable. Okay. You... First of all, I wasn't even didn't even think about asking you about SDRs today, but you said that the three letter word, and so we're gonna I'm gonna ask you about that in a little bit. Nice. So, as CRO today, who uh, does have marketing reporting into you, can you talk about um, how often you meet with marketing leadership, the types of things that you that you report on or find value in, uh, almost like you know to the people that are listening to this to help level up their their reporting. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I'm talking to them every day. Uh, we just actually hired a, a VP of global marketing who joined the company. Uh, she and I work together at CarGurus. Uh, she's wonderful, and she joins an already strong marketing team. That um, you know, for us in our business, because our our website is such an important portal for us from a revenue standpoint, not only from lead for leads, but we also drive ecom there. So marketing on both the brand piece and the digital piece, when you get into like true demand gen and what you're trying to drive is an essential component to our business. Like we don't, we don't exist without a strong marketing program. So I'm in as much communication with our marketing team as I am with our sales team. Yep. And in, in, in that world, do you guys have like a, what's the makeup of the, of the marketing team? If, if you, if you can share some of that and, and specifically, Actually, I'll shut up and ask you that first. First, what's the what's the makeup of the marketing team? Like size, roles. Yeah, so we've we've got about um, we're I mean we're growing our marketing team. So we as a company we've got uh, we've got about 120 or so employees in the company. Our marketing team by the end of this quarter will be about 10 people. And you know, for the size company, that's that's fairly big. But do you think so? Oh, I was going to ask you I this. Do. What do you, what's what's the benchmark? I'm sure you have a benchmark. What do you think the benchmark is? Well, if you benchmark it against the size of the sales team, so the size of the sales team right uh, now, if you include channel, direct, our SDR team and our account managers, we are at, sorry, I'm just looking at my whiteboard behind me. You got a whiteboard? We're at 15. So, you know, we've got a sales team of 15. Yeah. And what do you think right? it should be? What I've heard three to one. I, I, again, I, I do think it's business specific. It's like if you're if you're responsible for driving traffic to your website, to Amazon, to retailers, and then you're also responsible for selling direct for considered purchases in large companies or large school districts. Like you have to come with the, up with that ratio yourself. I think it's it's easy to fall into the trap of, well, in the B two B SaaS world, you're right. supposed to do this according right. to these geniuses from these venture capitalists. It's like no, but whatever is specific to your business, and if you're dri- if you're driving a product led growth organization where somebody can convert a trial on their own or buy on their own. Well, guess what? You probably need a higher ratio of marketers than you do sellers yeah. because it's more important that you're excellent from a digital standpoint and that you're not, you're, you have no log jams in your conversion trail. So I think it's, it's really dependent. So we, so yes, I say it's a, it's a, it's a bigger marketing team, but I think for the importance and the impact that our marketers have, and when you go down the list of what they do across digital demand gen, ads and SEM, brand content, product marketing, channel marketing, design, like there, there's a lot of specialties yeah. that you need to be good at. Yeah, especially I mean, look, especially with a business that if you're doing a lot of, if you're doing the uh, 
do you have a, you, I guess you don't really have a free you don't have any free component right so you're doing you're doing a heavy e, are, are you doing like mi, like millions in say like heavy volume of e-com uh yes okay so so like that to me is the sa- that's also the sales team and so that's how you justify having a bigger marketing team it's like well we have fi- if you have a let's say you have a heavier like field market like outside sales you know exact uh like enterprise type function and then you have that ratio marketing to sales it's it's, it's might not be right but in this model 100 percent um also what you said is just so freaking important that i want to pause on it for a second like this is this you just heard the zero who's taken two companies who's been a part of two companies going public super successful teams say that there is no benchmark. And so I think so many people fall in this trap of, especially as you're trying to take the next step. And I've been in this situation. I've been the marketing person trying to take the next step. And so I've been like, shit, the CEO's on me for a hiring plan. Uh, Okay, serious decision says that the ratio is three to one and my plan is wrong. And I've just, you know, turtled into that. And I think what you need is, it's good to have that benchmark, but you need also to have some gut if I can make my case to you, Josh, here's the deal. Look, I know you're going to think this is a little bit out of whack from a ratio standpoint, but can we just sit down? Let's sit down for a little bit. I'm going to walk you through my logic here. Like that's how you actually get headcount. It's not just you have some formula and you plug it in and it says, well, the ratio is three to one and therefore you get X. No, you, you can't because there, like there's so many, look, there should, benchmarks are important. I'm not saying they don't matter. You want to know where you are related to industry trends. Sure. When you think about it. For like hiring purposes and compensation or or ratios of SDRs to salespeople, like that stuff matters. I'm not saying ignore them, but what I'm saying is stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Yeah. Like build for your business in your point in time, in your stage, in your company, and what you're trying to accomplish, and stop trying to be everybody else because you can read all the books in the world that you want on Netflix or ServiceNow or LinkedIn or whomever, like there's, they're great stories, but it was that specific point in time for that specific need is the reason they did what they did. And they did it for themselves. They didn't do it for anybody else. They did it for themselves. And that matters. So there's so much nuance in it based on a bunch of different factors that you, that we don't know. Like what if the founders of your company are trying to sell in the next two years Exactly. Versus you raised $200 million and you're now a, you know, $2 billion valuation company like Gong. It's just, it's just different, different. Um, oh, okay. This is great. Good. A good little uh, side rant. So you just hired a new uh, VP of global marketing. What are the, how do you expect that person to be measured? Yeah. I mean, there's uh, it's revenue is where I'd start. And, but uh, what? But but more end. than that, though. Like you, you two will have like discussions in your meetings about other indicators. What are some of the give people some of the leading indicators? Because I think a lot of people hear us say revenue, but then don't know how to unpack that and make it tactical on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. So, what are like the leading indicators you would want as a CRO into marketing from for revenue? Yeah, I mean, traffic is a big one for us, and and um, just because of the importance of our website and conversions, yep. so we. We're actively measuring traffic and then breaking that down into the, into the categories of traffic, types of traffic, where it's coming from. Yep. So we understand our own efficiencies. We understand our own return on ad spend and you know all the fancy things that when you get into the, the subdivisions of the KPIs, conversion rate. And we just went through, we just launched a brand new website a couple of weeks ago. So 
we are in the throes of optimization and um, specifically conversion rate optimization to make sure that the website experience, because it's so critical to our business, that we're, we're continuing to kind of do the tweaks and improve on it. So conversion and traffic are two majors for us. It's almost like, it's almost like in this role, you, you have two products that you, you're thinking about as CRO. Like the website is a product and then the actual product you're selling is a product. Whereas like, like for example, like when we work together at Drift, in, in that business, website traffic is important, but it's not as, you know, it's more of a mid-market enterprise type business. It's not, it's not a high, you know, either high volume, like super transactional or e-com like you have today. Yeah, because even, and you think about like, you know, we, we publish so much content at Drift. Right. Like we put so much stuff out into the market that a lot of our website traffic was attracted to that content, but it wasn't necessarily going to convert into the next enterprise right. opportunity, right. right? There's still there's still like the separate heavy lifting that has to be done by the SDR team to go find those meetings, book them, create opportunities. So, and yeah, at OWL, we really have, it's like our website is so important to our business to be able to, uh, from a revenue standpoint, we're, I'd say we're just building, um, we're just building out a more traditional demand gen function that hasn't really existed here. It's existed as sort of a, yeah, we've driven these leads, like we have this stuff over here, but it wasn't tied to the sales plan. It wasn't a direct measurement of, okay, they came to this form or they came to this chat and it converted at this rate and turned into this opportunity. So we're, we're creating all of that. Some of it underneath it is we've had systems limitations that you would have when you're a smaller business and you're not used to the Salesforce and NetSuites of the world for running your company. So we're, we're in that like sort of converting phase uh, of being able to build that out. So that's, that's a big priority for her yeah. in addition to everything that's happening with the website, uh, with the brand, is creating that demand gen engine. This episode of B2B Marketing Leaders is brought to you by DGMG. That's my members-only community for B2B marketers. There's over 2,300 members, and it's awesome because it's really like having a sounding board outside of your company. Inside of the group, you can get feedback, recommendations on tools, campaign ideas, and more. I see people ask questions about hiring, team structure, ad targeting, copy feedback. It's incredible, and it's the reason that I'm in the group basically every day sharing stuff too. I feel like it's a group of people I want to be around to get better as a B2B marketer too. And because you're here listening to B2B marketing leaders, you can get in the group for just $1 for your first month. And then after that, it's 10 bucks a month. And it's super easy to expense. You could even do an annual. It's like 100 bucks a year. It makes it really easy to send to your CFO. Flies under the radar. It's 100 bucks. It's really easy. But there's 10 to 12 new posts every single day. And you can go in there daily. And you can even go and see all the content from last year. I know that if you're in B2B marketing, you will go in there and you'll be like, huh, I get what Dave was talking about. I know you'll see the ROI from the community alone instantly. And even more so now that you can get in there for your first month for just a dollar. So there's a special link link in the show notes of this show where you can go and sign up for a dollar. Go and check that out. Are you thinking about like is demand gen is is the e-com website piece going to be is that a demand gen function and demand gen owns the e-com piece and the sales channel or are they different? It's a good question. I think we're we're still kind of trying to figure that out now as to whether or not it's one and the same or we have uh, either an individual or part of an individual's time who's thinking more, all right, what are the types of accounts we want to break into to develop more of an ABM strategy? Do you go that way? Like we're not an enterprise heavy company. 
if we sell to an enterprise, we usually sell to a part of it as opposed to yeah. centralized buying across yeah. the whole thing. So we're really more about velocity and getting it in the hands of people as quickly as possible. So yeah, I think demand gen, as of now, the responsibility will exist with a single person who's really trying to get people to the website and whether they go the B2B lead route or they go the self-checkout route, kind of indifferent to. You talked about SDRs a bunch. Let's talk about SDR. Do you have them in this company? We do. We just uh, we just hired our first three in the okay. last four weeks. Before we go into specific advice, can you can you just, in your opinion, can you just give like a 101 primer, like SDR, like what's the role? What's the point of the role? Why does the role exist? What's the goal? And then also like, what's the difference between SDR and, and, and BDR? And then I think that'll get us to, to some more stuff I want to ask you. Yeah, I'm glad you asked it that way, because I think oftentimes SDR and BDR get used interchangeably and lumped together. Yeah. The way I would separate the definitions is an SDR or sales development rep, you would typically find in a company that has inbound lead flow and you're looking for somebody who is doing like really deep, repeatable discovery and qualification of the leads that are coming in. What you're trying to get to on the marketing and sales side is consistency so that um, you're running the same sort of touch process, whatever your touch cadence is, whether it's I'm going to do six pieces of outreach across 10 days or I'm going to do 12 pieces of outreach across 30 days. It's the consistency that matters. So we have an SDR team that is responsible for essentially handling all of our inbound lead flow and then scheduling the first call with the salesperson. So they are judged on the number of opportunities that they create for the sales team. That's the most important piece and, uh, and also the amount of pipeline because we want them asking questions about how many rooms do you have? Uh, is there an opportunity for you to replace what you're using today? Like really trying to see if they can expand it. A BDR is where you'd find more of an outbound prospector. So somebody who is doing targeted outreach, calling down a list, following up on old leads or things that are in the CRM. It's a colder role. And I think back to when I had my first opportunity to get on the phone as a BDR when I was 22, I basically had a list that I was calling down and my goal was to get somebody interested who wanted to learn more about antivirus and what we did at, at Sophos. Which is what you studied in college, obviously. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That fell right under my government and legal studies major <laughs> in college. Um, but that's, that's, a, that's a really hard job. I think that is uh, probably the hardest job in sales because you have to become comfortable with rejection. It is the... It's the baseball analogy of, uh, you know, if you're if you have three conversations out of your 10 calls that you make, that's a very strong batting average and you should be thrilled with that. Yeah, but then but it, but then it becomes when the CRO says, hey, uh, we need 300 meetings and you're like, oh, shit, I got to make a uh, thousand calls, right? Or, or 10,000 calls in order to hit that number. It's shitty. Well, it is. And I don't think you should be allowed to be a CRO if you haven't been a BDR at some point, frankly. Damn. Um, so I'm out. Because I'm out need, then. You, well, you just you need to understand the psychological impact of that level of rejection. And then it's easy to throw math at somebody that you put on a whiteboard or do in a spreadsheet. Then reality sets in and you have to understand, like, if you're going to ask somebody to make a certain number of calls or do a certain amount of outreach, 
what the expected return on that is because otherwise you can just you can grind people into the ground yep. and create a company that's a turnstile. So it's you need to know that job well to create the proper program in your company. I had a great uh, conversation with a guy named Dave Rigotti, and he was a VP of marketing at Visible. Visible got acquired by Marketo, and he ran their ABM function. And then Marketo got acquired by Adobe. He ran their ABM function. And um, he talked a lot about just how even though the BDR job is a grind, how marketing teams underappreciate how much of a lever it can be by making that team happy and successful. And so he's like, you know, typically you're like, how do I get marketing's like, I got to get 10 more meetings this month. And we're like, you know, and I'm, I'm guilty of this. We're like, let's go do more content or do something else. And he's like, dude, the actual best way to get 10 more meetings this month would be to try to get one more meeting out of each BDR. And in order to do that, what do you need to do? Is it better enablement? Do they need better tools? Do they need a day off or a, a, a content? Like, and I, I was like, oh shit, that, that's a really good way of thinking about it. It's just, a, it's a, if it's a, another piece in the marketing toolkit that you have to use to get the end result, which would be like a meeting. Absolutely. And then the, the question is how far you can reasonably stretch that because right. I think what happens is like you'll do the math and you'll pull it out a little bit and then you're like, all right, well, let's pull it out a little bit more and you start to run into a wall. Like at some point you just, you have to add people, you have to build in your yeah. training, your ramp period, how long it takes somebody to get proficient with the messaging. So on the, this is a random related question, but like on the, on that side of it, what's the lead is, would the leading indicator for BDR hiring be like we have more named accounts that we want to get into and on the SDR side it would be like we have more inbound leads than we did in the prior period it's relatively easy to do on the inbound side because you know how many leads you have and you sort of know what levers you have to be able to pull to drive more and then you can just measure your conversion rate so if you're if you're either not getting to leads or you have super high conversion rates against your lead pool, you probably want to expand that a little bit until those numbers come down. Yep. And then you can probably figure out where your where your line is. On the BDR side, like, like it is sort of a math problem of, all right, if we hire, if you hire a team of three BDRs and you have a designated pool of accounts that you're trying to break into and your marketing team is running an ABM program or some kind of support from the air that is giving them a reason to go in, you can, like, that team, typically, you can continue to kind of grow out so long as you're seeing the same return. And if you're not seeing the same return or it's dropping or you're not getting expected results, it's like you just kind of hit the stop sign there and go and figure out what's happening. Like, are you Mm -hmm. targeting the wrong persona? Are you going after the wrong people? Is your messaging off? Was this team not trained to talk to an executive that you're going after versus talking to a champion or somebody who's going to coach you through getting to the right place? So I do think like conversion rate tells you everything. Yeah. You had a gem of a line in there, which is like, what what's marketing's role? If you're listening to this, which you are because you're listening, what's marketing's role in ABM? I love what Josh said, which is like, you give them support from the air to give them a reason to go in. I, I wrote something the other day about how like the combination of outbound and brand is really powerful because if you have no brand and you're going to knock on people's doors and you're like, hey, it's Dave from, you know, Dave's a company you never heard of. Or if I'm knocking on your door and I'm like, hey, it's Dave from Nike, you're like, oh, hey, like you're at least going to take my call. Yeah. I think it, it, it has a huge impact. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, all, it's all about the air cover. And, you know, sales is a, 
it's relatively simple in theory and it's really hard in execution. It's like, it's simple because somebody will talk to you and have a conversation if they believe you have a potential solution to a problem that is high on their list of things to solve. How do you decide if your marketing or sales org should bring in SDRs? Is that a average deal size thing, like just from a math perspective? Or do you think, because the reason I love the role is I think one of the things that still plagues every marketing and sales team is sales doesn't follow up with the leads fast enough because it just, it's yeah. always, it, and that's not a knock. It's just, there's, there's, especially in a high growth startup, you're asking people to close and prospect and that's very hard. And so they, it just becomes hard. And so I like the idea of SDRs because it's like, oh, as a marketer, it means that I can guarantee that the groceries we just shopped for are going to get eaten, right? I, I can guarantee that you're going to go follow up with all these leads, but is there a certain threshold? Um, let me start with a pet peeve of mine. Pet peeve is when you walk into a company and CEO or executive says, we have more leads than we know what to do with. It's like we have leads leads falling from the ceiling. We have, we've got leads everywhere. Every salesperson so, hates that line. That, I, because no lead is ever the same. And so like, the, re- the reason you bring in an SDR team is so that you get the feedback loop as to what your lead pool is. Can I tell you, I'm going to tell you a funny story. I've never told anybody this is a very funny story. <laughs> so early, super early days at Drift, and uh, I think it's okay, I can share this now. I, super early days at Drift, I'm the first marketing person, you know, senior marketing manager, whatever. The founder, David and Elias, the founders are like, hey, we're going to hire, we're going to bring in a VP of sales. And so it's Armin, who's who's amazing, and, and we have a great relationship. Awesome. And, and so... And he's super experienced. I'm like, I don't know shit then. I'm just like some, you know, cocky marketing person who thinks he's going to run marketing at this company one day. And uh, Armin, we get on the whiteboard and we draw out the funnel and he's like, he's, you know, teaching me what he learned from uh, Dine and, and log me in. And then I write out all the funnels and he's like, let me tell you, in his voice, he's like, uh, th- these aren't these aren't leads. What what you're calling leads are not leads. He's and then he gets on the whiteboard, and like draws out the whole funnel of like, let me. You, th- these are these are people. These are humans. <laughs> it doesn't mean that they're gonna buy. And I just remember that was the first like slap in the face of like, okay, you know, I can't just throw up a number and be like, wow, look at all the number of X. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, the sales leader is just gonna be like, yes, but who of these people are the buyers? Yeah, exactly. And it, it's it's also like. There are lots of people who are going to be interested. They'll have different levels of interest. The most important program you can develop if you have a lot of interest in your company and you have a lot of inbound leads, but many of those people are part of your audience, they're not quite at a place where they're ready to buy, is to build a nurturing program for them. Like Build them a reason to stay connected to your business. Build them a reason to continue to learn and absorb so that when they get ready to buy, when they are in the market in the future, you're the first thing they're going to look at. And then they they sort of elevate themselves to a place where they're ready to talk to somebody in sales. Yeah. And it's hard because the best... Look, everybody knows this. And I did a great podcast with Chris Walker a couple weeks ago about this. But like the inbound hand raisers, get a demo, whatever, those convert at like 30%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no kidding, right? The hard part is to consistently grow that it's hard to consistently grow that number just by trying to grow traffic. But like, I think the opportunity for B2B companies or, you know, and you're, you kind of have this hybrid world is to be the expert. And so the way that you will get them to be a customer is build an audience, but then prove your expertise to that audience 
around a clear pane where there's product market fit. So then when they have that problem, they're going to raise their hand and be like, yes, my website is not converting. I do need to take a, a demo. I think it's hard to just go magically go and create more hand raisers. But what you can do is build an audience and then become an expert to get people to come to you when they might not just be going directly to your website and clicking on book a demo. I agree. And if I use a present day example with Owl Labs, like we are, we've been creating a lot of content for this future state of work, how classrooms are having to adopt new technology for hybrid learning models and just the way the world has changed. Because you want to talk about the story. You want to talk about what's happening. You want to talk about how Dropbox and Salesforce and LinkedIn and Twitter are all thinking about the future return to office and what that looks like, which is very different from what it was before the pandemic. We're trying to create a forum for people to talk about that, for people to read about that, for people to learn about that. And then it, it ties to the product that we build, but it's also it's as important to be a thought leader in the space for what is going on in the world. And when those two are in simpatico, when they come together, then you have a full story. You can you have a reason to create a wider audience that over time may work their way down your funnel and, and convert. Yep. All right, we got to wrap up soon, so I'm just going to hit you with a bunch of random things. Who should own the sales deck, and what should the sales deck be? Who should own the sales deck? I, ideally, that's product marketing. Is it a, a Google slide? Is it a PDF? Is it on the website? It's, uh, I mean, it's usually some type of a slide deck. I think you want to give, I would say, 70% of it, 75% of it should be consistent, the same thing over and over again. And then you give that 25% for the customization or uh, the specifics of the use case, the nuance of the use case or the persona that you're selling to. Um, give the, you want to give your, your sellers the creativity to be, to be able to put in what they need to put in there. One thing you wish product marketers did to make the sales deck better? Less feature benefits, more storytelling. Mm, speaking my language. Yes. Uh, what's one way that across the board marketers could earn more credibility with the sales team hop on calls with them talk to customers hear from the customer's point of view how they're thinking about it i think that can help marketers get into the storytelling side of it and out of the feature benny trap because you you hear the pain from the individual you're talking to and realize it's all about the solution and the story it's not about whether your widget is faster cheaper shinier better. Yes. What should be in a sales and marketing SLA? Time to lead. So just in terms of like how quickly from the time that lead gets put into the system, um, when is somebody actually following up on it? How many touches you're going to make on that specific lead? And then what types of touches you're going to make? So whether you're going to use multiple channels like LinkedIn, if you're going to use multiple mediums like video or email the old handwritten letter or now like the new touches that you see with the likes of Sendoso and Alice where you're sending an actual product. It's like, just come up with what you want to do consistently and do it consistently. And yeah. Measure it. Listen, what you want to, this is, this has to be a shared thing. I think a lot of marketers that listen to this, the SLA with sales is, it, it can be one-sided. Hey, we're going to deliver you X. 
And I think it's got to be this two-way relationship. And so together, create a scorecard that has, what does success look like together? Okay, this many meetings each month, this much pipeline each month. And then you also have two or three things that you can actually improve on the on the sales side. I like that. Okay, what's one thing that still drives you nuts about marketers in 2021? <laughs> oh, I got to be careful with this answer. Um it drives me nuts. Okay. All right. I, I think, um, and this is not just marketers. They're, like Sellers fall into this category Look, too. I don't make couch that, it. You're, oh. help, you're helping us. This is an, you're here to help us, Josh. You're here to help us. Take, um, take, give it. Give it. But I want to make it clear that both sides fall into this trap. So this is not just a marketing thing, but I will say it. Okay. Um, trying to polish a piece of shit, honestly. Like it's just, if it's not working. Yes say that it's not working and that's okay because it's objective and you have the data to support it. Don't, don't try to like sell and do the dance of why everything is so great when everyone knows like, but like you're pointing over here and you're like, but the, but it's not the outcome we're trying to drive. Sure. Like those metrics look green and up and to the right and shiny and great, but it's like, there's a disconnect in the result. So it's it, that would just be like the one thing I would say is if it is broken, break down the data as to why it's broken, call it out, and then talk about what you're going to do next to fix it. Don't try to shine something that isn't actually driving the result you want it to. Ooh, that's good, and I'm I I, I still do that. So that's good, because um, <laughs> no, it's great. I think and I think it comes from having, I think that ultimately stems from having alignment on what what metric matters. And so if like yeah. we're very explicit on like hey. Because it can be this black and white. Hey, we're going to measure success by this metric, right? Meetings, pipeline, whatever. And objectively, if we are not hitting that goal, then we're behind or we're off. And so therefore, there must be a reason for that. I think I've seen it happen most when the two, when sales and marketing are not aligned on the same success. And so I can get a promotion. I can get promoted because the CEO or whoever is telling me you're doing a great job and you know keep it up and here's your bonus based on leads, right? But if you're on the other end, I, I, I also think like, I think there should be transparency. I think before a VP of marketing and VP of sales work together, there should be full transparency. You don't have to have the dollar amount, but there should be full transparency on how each other is compensated. Yep. Because I actually think that drives a lot of bullshit. I've dealt with a lot of bullshit and I was like, oh, wait a second. That's because she has a bonus that's based on this. No wonder that was such a thing that dug so deep. And I think that really does play a huge factor in this game. Yeah. Well, it's, and I, I'm going to say this word again because I believe in it. I think it's environmental. And if you create an environment where you can have a, an honest conversation to say, all right, well, all the leads are coming in, but we're missing our revenue target by 20%. Sure. Like, let's have an open conversation as to why. It's not anybody's fault. No, no. Because like, I often think like it's actually, and this is where I would, this is where I've matured as a marketing person. Like, this is why I asked you the influence question. There's actually probably most likely a product thing that needs to change because if you're not attracting the right leads for your business, it's not because you're writing the wrong ebooks. It's like, okay, well, can we get a slice of this product to more people in a, in a different way and get them in here? It's, it's always something more. Yeah, and, and, and it's like, I think the, the important part to remember is everyone that you have hired in your company on the sales team, on the marketing team, they're all doing what they think is their best work to try to solve that problem. And so like realize that, that everybody's intent is to solve that problem. 
the ways of doing it are going to be different and that's okay. Like debate is, is healthy, but believing like if everybody wants to get to the root to solve it, as opposed to point fingers and say, oh, well, sales just isn't trained all that well. They don't know what they're doing or, oh, marketing is just going out and spending a bunch of money on an audience that is never going to convert for us. So they're just pumping the lead pipe. It's like that, that doesn't help anyone. It just creates a silo and a divide that, that tends to get worse over time, especially as if, as we talked about before, revenue, the cure of all is dropping or not where you want it to be. Right. Like, do you think anybody's poking holes into Zoom's marketing team strategy right now? No, they're probably, they can't, they don't have to touch anything because the company's just growing, <laughs> growing like crazy. Nobody's digging into what's happening there. And if you get underneath it and you talk to people on their sales team or their marketing team, there are just as many inefficiencies in their business as there are in yours or mine. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. They just have, the wind is at their back and that always makes it easier. Josh, this was fantastic. This was exactly what I wanted to get out of this. Before before I hang up, I'm going to put you on the spot. Give me one other person that now that you've done this interview, you think would be, would be good for people to hear from. I would highly recommend the VP of global marketing that we just brought into our labs uh, and Ashley Carr. Cool. She has an amazing background, both from her time at CarGurus, where she was there for almost seven years and helped build out the B2B marketing program, which was directly tied into revenue. But she also has a management consulting background and a CPG background. So she's done like big data stuff at a marketing level. And then she's also done like tighter B2B stuff. I think she'd be pretty interesting for your audience. Great. Okay. You'll intro me. That'll be good. Happy to. All right, Josh. Always great to catch up with you. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast. If you got something out of this episode, then I know you'll get even more out of DGMG. That's my members-only community for B2B marketers. There's over 2,300 members in there right now, and it's awesome because it's really like having a sounding board outside of your company as a marketer. Inside of the group, you can get feedback, recommendations on tools, on vendors. You can get campaign ideas. I've seen people post, hey, what do you think of this ad? Do you think this copy would work? Is anybody using this new tool? What do you think of this vendor? Uh, and it's the reason that I'm in the group basically every day sharing my own stuff too because it's just a community I want to be a part of. And because you're here listening to B2B Marketing Leaders, I got a special deal for you. You can get in the group for just $1 for your first month. After that, it's $10 a month. And let's be honest, it's super easy to expense at your company. It'll fly under the radar. Uh, there's 10 to 12 new posts every single day, and you can go back and see all the posts since the beginning of time. I know that if you're in B2B marketing, you'll see the ROI from the community instantly, and that's why I want you to join for a dollar. I want to make it a no-brainer. So go and check it out. There's a link in the, in the show notes of this episode, a special link just for you to go and join for $1.